right, guys. Hi, friends. Welcome to part two of our conversation about our post-COVID education system. I am super excited to be joined today by Robert Marshall, the founder and executive director of Indianapolis Charter School of Vanguard Collegiate. Thank you so much for being here with me today, Robert. Thank you for the opportunity to participate. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Well, cool beans. Um, I am really, really looking forward to continuing our conversation about our education system and what it could possibly look like when we get on the other side of this pandemic. Um, but before you and I dive in, I wanted to give our friends who are listening just a little bit of context about how we got here. So Rob and I share a mutual friend, um, Nicole, and I was sharing with Nicole how I was having a conversation with a couple of other friends last week about virtual learning and how I think it's important that we use this time to think differently and come up with some really creative ideas on how we could change the education system when we get to the other side of this. And in that conversation, I threw out this really radical idea. I said, you know what, what if kids only went to school three days a week? Maybe they, they went Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and on Tuesdays and Thursdays, they did virtual learning. And that sparked a really good debate amongst my friend group. And so in sharing that with Nicole, she said, oh, well, you got to talk to Rob because he's going to provide you with some really cool insight on that idea and, and even other ideas as it relates to education. So um, here we are. <laughs> and I'm just super thankful <laughs> that you decided to hop on with me. Um, so Rob, Nicole's right. I mean, you founded a charter school and that's pretty dope. So tell me a little bit about um, Vanguard Collegiate and your mission and how you came up with the idea. Sure. We are uh, a tiny school with a mighty mission um, located uh, on the near west side of Indianapolis and the Hallville neighborhood. The area um, has been known for decades um, for its high level of crime, the high level of poverty and the low levels of educational attainment. Um, and it's honestly up until recently been pretty widely ignored. Um, and so I'm always the type of person that I don't wanna run away from the fire, I wanna run to the fire. So when founding the school and we were trying to find the space, um, I said, hey, who has, which area has the greatest need? So that's how we landed in Hallville. Um, we're grades five through eight, and we are unapologetically focused on the academic success of our scholars. Um, we see them as becoming what we define, uh, true vanguards, which we define as leaders in thought, word, and action. And so, um, you know, everything that we do at our school is about developing young people that are forward thinking, can think for themselves, and have the wherewithal to really contribute immediately um, to their surrounding communities. Uh, we were really founded on three principles. One, um, wanted to be a school that, that did something with a community as opposed to to a community. Um, and so that means opening up our doors co constantly um, to other organizations and the neighborhood and being a, a resource hub for our neighborhood. And then, you know, going out and providing support where needed. So, for example, um, our kids put together a food box that currently is still outside of the public library not far from our school. And just even yesterday, our staff um, volunteered to fill up the box yesterday, um, which had been completely emptied. It was, you know, filled up a couple of days ago, and the deed is so great in that area that we needed to refill it again. Um, but that's a project that our school is taking on because we know it's a need in our neighborhood. Uh, the second piece is um, really meeting our scholars where their needs are. You know, when we opened up the school, that first class 
came in about an average of three grade levels behind English language arts and in math. And so we have a ton of supports built into our school day, um, including Monday through Thursday. The last block of every day is mandatory tutoring. Um, so kids are getting the support that they need uh, no matter where they come in at. And then the last piece is just, you know, being unapologetically college prep. Um, there's a lot of talk and, and there's no knock against trades and um, other types of things because people can make great um, livings that way. Um, but even my kids that say, I don't know if college is for me. Um, I tell them, hey, you know, go to a community college, get a certification if you want to if you want to be a mechanic. At least that way, you know, you're working towards owning the business. Um, the reality is those trades conversations aren't happening, especially here in Indiana, aren't happening in white communities. They're happening in urban communities. And I want our kids to know um, that they can achieve more and they can do more. And so um, that's a big part of our push. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Um, well, it's really cool that you decided to, um, to open up this charter school in an area where you have such underprivileged and underserved um, children in, within the community. And so I think that's dope. Um, and so tell me a little bit about what this pandemic is looking like for those kids. Because if you're in an area where it's underserved, I'm sure some of the challenges that you've come up against is making sure that um, kids have internet and computers and things of that nature. So what has this last couple of months of the school year during COVID-19 looked like for you guys? It's been absolutely nuts. So we, we found ourselves in an interesting uh, situation. Um, the larger school districts, their superintendents met with our mayor and they made a decision to, the mayor made a decision to shut down everything. Um, so I literally got home from school um, around 5.15 that day. And, and I sat down and said, you know what? I haven't sat, been home this early in a while. Let me turn the news on. And I turn on the TV and the mayor's up saying, hey, we're shutting things down. Wow. And so we didn't have any time to prepare. Um, we had no knowledge this was coming. We had an idea that maybe the governor was moving that direction. And we thought we had a couple of days, um, at least to the end of the week. Um, our mayor shut us down on like a Thursday. Wow. And so um, we had a really uh, difficult weekend, you know, trying to make preparations and plans for our families. And so, you know, I personally delivered about uh, a laptop to about 50 percent of our school population to make sure that they were ready for the e-learning. Um, we spent a week with a week and a half with teachers just planning and preparing. Um, the good news was it, it, that that break led into our spring break. And okay. so we didn't have to do any online teaching. And so we, we used that time to, to, to get ready. Um, but yes, we've had to um, make sure that our kids had laptops. We've worked with a uh, partner in our neighborhood, Crossroads Education, to make sure that the families that didn't have internet had access to hotspots um, so that they could do their work. Um, but we've even gone a little further than that, making sure that um, checking on families say, hey, okay, who needs food resources? Um, we've had a couple families that have needed help with rent um, and because parents have lost jobs as, as a result of um, this pandemic. Um, and then just being really flexible with our families, understanding the dynamics that they're dealing with. You know, I had a kiddo that reached out and just said, Mr. Marshall, look, uh, my mom still goes to work and I'm the oldest of my, my four siblings and I have to take care of these kids during the day. It's hard to do schoolwork, wow. you know. 
and babysit during the day. And so making sure that our, our teachers aren't, uh, are being extremely flex, excuse me, they're being extremely flexible mm-hmm. with our families and understanding those situations. And so we're constant communication with our families on what their needs are, constant communication with our scholars on what's happening in their lives. Um, you know, our, we have therapists on staff and so our therapist is doing um, teleconferences with uh, her clients, which represent probably about 35% of our school population. Um, and so, you know, any resources that come across my desk, we're constantly pushing it out to our families. That's awesome. That's so good to hear. Um, and I'm sure the community as a whole is just so appreciative to have um, you guys there partnering with them during this time. So as I shared, um, I one of, because I just think again, one of the words that's probably, um, we're almost as tired of hearing as the word pandemic and unprecedented is this idea of pivoting, right? And how mm-hmm. um, businesses are, are having to pivot and brands are having to pivot because the normal that we are used to is no more, right? Um, so many things have right. changed as a result of this. And so um, I do think that it's important to use this time to think differently. Um, I actually work in meetings and events. And so our industry wholeheartedly is having to think differently, right? Because you can't do any, (laughs) excuse me, any in-person events. And so um, I'm using that same kind of train of thought and looking at a lot of different areas of life in general and just saying, while this is very unfortunate and it is such a sad time, I think we would be remiss if we didn't use this as an opportunity to rethink a lot of different things. And I think education is definitely high on my list of things that should be revamped because I think we have a lot of opportunity to change the way we do things. And so in doing that, you heard me share that I said, hey, what if kids only went to school three days a week? Maybe virtual learning, they really, really reimagined it and optimized it so that, because in my mind, now granted, I don't have kids. And so this is probably one of the things that really sparked the the debate that I was having with friends. They were like, yeah, but Sheree, you you don't have kids. You don't know what it's like. I can't imagine trying to do a full, work a full time job and educate my children at the same time on a permanent basis. Like that's not okay. And I want to preface that by saying that I think um, whatever solutions we come up with to change the education system, I think it's important to recognize that other industries will have to follow. You know, so for instance. Um, now parents are doing that you know they are educating their kids are are being at home with their kids every day and working full-time jobs and they never thought they could so anyway when i throw out ideas like that what is your immediate reaction are you saying uh sheree these parents are right you kind of crazy like i don't really see how something like that could come to fruition but what what are your immediate thoughts when i say maybe kids only go to school three days a week and they do virtual learning two days so let me preface uh, my my response by saying um, education is not and has not been for a long time a one-size-fits-all situation. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why we have these, this growth in charter schools across the nation, um, because we're recognizing that 
kids, different kids learn different ways, uh, different cultures fit different kids. Um, and so to just try to say every, every uh, round peg, excuse me, every uh, square peg needs to fit into this round hole doesn't work um, in education. Um, so my, my response to that is, I think it can work for some communities. I think for others, is it would be extremely difficult. Um, for a parent, for example, even just a parent that works a salary job, um, you know, you're not necessarily tied down to uh, if we don't have, if I don't meet this hours requirement, then we don't eat. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you're in a situation like that, your child's education may not necessarily be the priority, right? Because you're you're almost in survival mode. And I, and I'm speaking from experience, right? Yeah. So I'm I'm the first of my siblings. I grew up in uh, zip code four six two one eight. And anybody Google that in Indiana, in Indianapolis, you'll understand. Um, uh, and and so I'm first of my siblings to graduate from high school. So I, I grew up just like the kids that I'm serving. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I can't imagine a situation where um, a number of our families would be able to sustain um, this e-learning situation. Um, it's been it's been really difficult. Uh, just being completely transparent, it's been complete, really difficult. Um, and we do a lot of extra things, right? So I, I'm I'm almost with you, I'm with you because we do three days of instruction and we do two days of office hours where mm-hmm. kids get support. Um, and we have a virtual math lab. Um, that's open five days a week, and so kids can get additional support in that space. Having been an uh, an online uh, learner, so um, trying earning my master's degree online, right? Uh, it takes a lot of discipline. Yeah, yeah. Um, to to be an online learner, um, and I don't. I, I think for a number of communities and for kids, like those those are skills. Um, and, and discipline that they haven't quite learned yet. And so this is going to take some time. Um, some of these adjustments aren't going to be an overnight. Um, and to be honest with you, I think a lot of educators are terrified about what happens come fall yeah. for school. Um, we are looking at, you know, at, at the encouragement of our state superintendent, um, three different options, you know, for next school year. One of them is, you know, we hopefully, prayerfully, we'll be back as normal, um, you know, August, September, and we, we could operate like we normally did. The second piece is, um, and online, continuing this e-learning and figuring out what it looks like um, for at least until the end of the calendar year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third piece is that I think is, has been a logistical nightmare to even try to wrap your head around. Um, we talked, they talked about doing shifts, right? Um, so you essentially kids are, um, coming, half your kids are coming, you know, certain days of the week, the other half are coming the other days of the week, which yeah. does lend itself to your idea about the three days a week, um, situation. Um, and so, um, we are really trying to rack our brains to figure out what this looks like, particularly for us. Um, what does it look like for, um, a, a community of, of color that um, is widely impoverished. You know, we're 96% free and reduced lunch. Um, and so those national standards for free and reduced lunch, um, you know, are, the income level is extremely low. Um, and so f- for a lot of our families, you know, 
um, without us providing the laptop and the um, the Wi-Fi and consistent calls every day, e-learning wouldn't be possible. If we were a larger school, um, I don't I don't think the way we're operating would be sustainable. Wow. Wow. That says a lot. Um, and I think that's definitely one of the things that kind of came up in my conversation with Danielle, um, who was in part one of this um, this lar- this series, excuse me. And that's what she she was concerned with as well. It's like, how do you have um, a virtual learning education system or part virtual learning education system when you don't even know that all of the kids have access to internet? And that is um, definitely, it sheds light on one of the bigger problems that we have in this country. Um, oh. And so I can only imagine to your point what happens in if, if you were a bigger school and in communities that don't have Vanguard collegiates, you know, um, and are reliant on just the traditional public school system. Um, I would say, what if, I, or I guess I could argue um, that the internet is considered one of the great equalizers, right? And so, sure. Getting someone on the internet almost opens up a completely different world to them. And um, I I wonder if in coming up with these other solutions, if ensuring, if virtual learning helps to ensure that more families are connected to the internet and more families have access to computers, um, is that, you know, something that helps propel us even further as it relates to not even education, but just helping families to progress in general. Sure, sure. I, I, I think you're absolutely right. And you, I think we're headed in that direction. One of the conference, we have a, um, a two major donors that are connected to our neighborhood in particular. Um, and they're both connected to, they love STEM and the idea of pushing science and math for kids. And so that's been our push to them. You know, while I would love to get some operational funds, my bigger push for them is, hey, work together and provide, you know, long-term internet service for this neighborhood. Um, Because well beyond this, it's still going to be a need. It's always been a need. And so now it's a glaring need. Mm -hmm. Um, And and people can really wrap their heads around, you know, um, and have more empathy, right? Because, you know, being quarantined, what if your, your Wi-Fi went out? Yeah, if it went out for a few hours, <laughs> you right. might lose it, right? Exactly. <laughs> so um, imagine that being your lifestyle, right? We we just we don't have internet access. You know, we have our phones, and when my data's up, my data's up. Um, and uh, honestly, that's a reality for a, a lot of um, people in urban communities. And so, um, I, I I think we all need to be thinking bigger picture because there's just a ton of unintended consequences that you know this quarantine has kind of um, shed a light on, you know, last night in our, in my city in Indianapolis, um, a young lady unfortunately lost her life um, to a stray bullet. Um, people have been cramped up in the house so long. And yesterday was one of the most beautiful days we've had this year. It finally got into the eighties. Keep in mind it was in 40, it was in the forties earlier this week. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. And so everybody was out and this young lady 
uh, unfortunately lost her life. But, you know, people being cooped up in the house, um, nowhere to go, nothing to do, um, and not really having a strong understanding about social distancing and the magnitude of um, COVID-19, you know, again, there's just some unintended consequences that that, that are starting to show their ugly face during this crisis. Definitely. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, again, the word unprecedented has been used at nauseum, but it truly is just that. I mean, we haven't really experienced anything like this it, no. in, in our generation. Um, yeah. so one of the things that I think are always cool to do um, when trying to think differently is to say, or to ask ourselves the question, if money were no object and you weren't under any type of time constraints, for you, Rob, what does the optimal education system look like? If if Vanguard Collegiate had all of it, all of the money that it needed to to see um, all of the different initiatives and ideas that you came up with, what does that look like for you? Ah, you want me going for hours? No, <laughs> I try to keep it brief. Um, so, so I, I think the way we operated in our first year, even with the money constraints, um, was really ideal um, for how we wanted to operate. And I can, I, I would imagine that if funds were available, we could have really um, magnified um, and bolstered some of the initiatives that we were. Um, kind of limited on. Um, so, you know, our, we are, and at first and foremost, a school academic institution. Um, but at my core, I wholeheartedly believe that um, for black and brown kids, um, education doesn't start with what's in the books. It starts with being able to establish a relationship um, and trust with the adults in the building. Oh, absolutely. Um, and so, you know, even the way our arrival system is designed, you know, I'm at the door every morning greeting every student. Um, behind me is a dean. So kids turn in their homework as soon as they come in. The dean greets them there. Then they go pick up their breakfast. There's a dean there. And then when they get to the door of their classroom, the teachers are at the threshold greeting every scholar. And so you have these four positive touches with every with an adult before you ever step foot in the classroom before you ever sit at the desk before you ever do a single assignment for the day Mm -hmm. um and that sets the stage for what your day is supposed to look like it gives us an opportunity to do check-ins and to kind of temperature check and to um and so we have a huge focus on social emotional um learning and eq and so you know let's say you had a rough night and i can tell i give you an opportunity to go to the reset room and start your day there so you can cool out or I can send you to the therapist so you can have somebody to talk to, you know, because you might've had something traumatic happen um, before you walked into school that morning. Um, you know, I talked about the supports that we have. We have these blocks called power hour. It's an hour of um, enrichment for math and it's an hour of enrichment for um, reading. I would love for us, if money were no object, to be able to have teachers that specifically teach those enrichment blocks. Um, we just don't have the capacity right now at such a small school, mm-hmm. right? Um, I, th- I think, you know, even though um, in our first year, 
we had 100% of our kids um, grow across every reporting area for the NWA MAP assessment. Um, I, I, I wonder what those numbers would really look like um, if we had additional support in that space. Um, you know, one of the focus for this school year was doing more field lessons and getting out of the building because I, I wholeheartedly believe that um, kids grow and learn with more life experiences. Mm -hmm. And so um, we did a really good job this year with uh, a lot of neighborhood support being able to, to do that. I would love to do more of that. And then I think the biggest thing for us is I would just love to be able to serve more kids. Yeah. You know, I wish we had the capacity and the space to be able to serve more kids. You know, we have um, 100% minority staff. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, our our family, our, excuse me, our families and staff are reflective of one another. Um, our board is largely minorities. Um, so it reflects the neighborhood. And we even have somebody from the neighborhood that serves on our school board. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and I mean, we're doing other things like, you know, we have a policy that, um, 60% of our vendors um, need to be minority and women in owned businesses. Um, and so we try to give businesses in the area a crack at those um, accounts first. Um, and so, you know, a school has a possibility of really changing the ecosystem. Absolutely. You know, there's federal dollars that come to support us. And so being able to funnel those dollars back into the community with the minority and women um, owned business um, policy is one of those things that we feel like um, is our social responsibility. Um, and so being able to just do more um, in those spaces, I think would be absolutely tremendous if money were no object. And then facilities, you know, our kids deserve top-notch facilities. And unfortunately we don't have those right now. We're working on it. I think we're getting there. Uh, <laughs> um, but, um, you know, I think about, some of the suburban areas and some of the things that they have available in their school facilities, you know, um, absolutely wild. Like I was, I didn't have that as a kid and I went to one of the top private high schools here in the city. Right. Uh, <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I, I just I'm like, man, I don't even know if those kids realize how much privilege and advantage that they have just having those experiences um, in, you know, elementary and middle school. So. Yeah, it's so true. I um, I will say that I share your mission of just allowing or affording each child the same opportunity. I think that's probably um, one of the things that makes me saddest about the world that we live in, that every child just doesn't have the opportunity to learn the same way with the same facilities and the same resources. Um, because I think when you know better, the likelihood that you do better is just, um, it's inevitable, right? Um, and I get that right. not every, every kid is gonna take advantage of opportunities that are presented to them, but I never want a child to say they just didn't know. And I look at yep. the disparities between um, you know, you went to Morehouse, and so you're familiar with some of the, the private schools in the Atlanta area. And I, I grew up in Stone Mountain. And so um, yeah. I went to, I went to public school, graduated from Redan High School. Um, and by no means did I think at the time that I was 
that I, I grew up in a bad school system. Um, I, I didn't feel that growing up at all. But then looking now, when I go back and I visit and I see what resources the kids in Stone Mountain have versus the kids whose parents can afford to send them to Woodward Academy have, it's so vast. I mean, the difference is so alarming. And it's not that these kids in Stone Mountain couldn't fare just as well at Woodward Academy, Academy excuse me, is simply because their parents can't afford to send them there. And so yep. um, it's disheartening. And, and I definitely applaud you for, for having the vision to start your charter school and to bring Vanguard Collegiate to an area that you know is so vastly underserved. So shout out to you. That's amazing. And I'm Appreciate so excited to, um, to hear that a, this black man from Morehouse College is in his community <laughs> doing it big and not just talking the talk, but you're walking the walk. So I think that's awesome. I appreciate it. That's what they train us to do at Morehouse. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> that's dope. Well, um, Rob, I think what the biggest thing that I'm taking away from my conversation, both with you and with Danielle, is that one, um, as a, 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 I guess I'll call myself kind of a, a big picture optimistic thinker. I have a friend who's like, Sheree, you always are looking for the, for the rainbow on the other side. And sometimes you need to bring that realism back in a little bit. <laughs> um, but I think what I'm, what I'm taking away is, we can come up with creative ideas to change education, but there are some fundamental things that we have to look at first. Like you almost can't get too creative until you start by ensuring that every child has the same opportunity. And that's a big bite to, to take and uh -huh. um, a huge process to start. But I am hoping that, um, it's more people are having conversations about education and seeing the disparities even um or, or that this pandemic is shining the light on the disparities that some of these um, areas are having when it comes to education and hopefully the, the change will start indeed indeed um i think we definitely need to pay attention to what equity really means um in our school system um for, i don't know if you've seen there's like a a, a meme where you know there's a picture of uh three kids trying to look over a fence yeah. one of them's two two of them are too short and then they give them a box that's the same height mm -hmm. um but still they can't see the, the the game over the other side of the fence and then finally they make the adjustments so that everybody is equal playing field and being able to see that's yeah. what funding and uh equity needs to really um look like when it comes to education and then um, I would also encourage systems that use uh, absolute these test scores and the um, absolute scores of schools um, to measure um, accountability and other things that they really take the time to make the adjustment um, and focusing on growth because we're in for a hard time next year because essentially kids have lost, you know, six months when you count the summer, um, four to six months of school. Um, and so it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard for everybody, but, you know, we at Vanguard Collegiate, and I think our fellow educators are, we're in this with, with the parents. We're definitely um, partnering with the parents, and I think everybody understands that we can't do this without each other. So, Absolutely. 
That's awesome. Well, Rob, thank you so much for taking some time to chat with me. Um, this has been an awesome conversation. Um, and the impetus for me creating hashtags and hangups is truly just to have some really important conversations with friends. And then hopefully these conversations spark conversations amongst other people. So um, I hope anyone listening, if, if um, to my friends who are listening, if you want to get in on this conversation, if you have some ideas, if you want to support Rob and his mission with um, Vanguard Collegiate, please hit me up on um, Facebook or Instagram at hashtags and hangups and comment. Um, and I will definitely get you in touch with Rob. Um, I'll be sharing some more information about Vanguard Collegiate and their mission and, and what they're doing and how you guys can can contribute. But thank you again, Rob, so, so much. Truly, truly appreciate your time. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity. And thank you, Nicole, um, for making the connection. Awesome. All right. Well, guys, thank you again for listening. Love you all. And um, I will chat with everyone soon. <laughs>